Transmitter device activated. Coordinates set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Earth 2 podcast, the podcast where we explore the origins and development of the DC multiverse and the legacy of Golden Age characters throughout the Silver and Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele. Thank you for joining us. I hope it's been a long week of anticipation and excitement. Well, of course. Because we're back for essentially part two of Crisis North 3. Mm-hmm. Um, this is issue 30 of Justice League of America with a cover date of September 1964. Publication date July the 23rd, 1964. Exciting. It is exciting. Yeah, I can't wait to go on with this, frankly. Right, so we open on one of the nice big recap splash pages. We have all the, the floating heads with all the lineups. We have The Flash, Wonder Woman, Superman, Green Lantern, Batman for the League. We have Doctor Fate, Black Canary, Hawkman, Doctor Midnight and Starman for the Justice Society. And of course for the Crime Syndicate of America we have Johnny Quick, Superwoman, Ultraman, Power Ring and Owlman. And, as we're not used to, there's the big recap in the middle. Just as the superheroes of the Justice League of America exist on Earth 1, and as the superheroic Justice Society of America lives on Earth 2, there is a super villainous crime syndicate on Earth 3. These supervillains who dominate their Earth because they are the only super-beings on it find their fighting edge dulled from lack of effective competition. When Ultraman develops a new power by exposure to green kryptonite, he discovers Earth-1 and the Justice League. Entering Earth-1, the crime syndicate does battle with the Justice League and is on the verge of defeats when, thanks to the trickiness of Owlman... The villains save themselves by vibrating with their foes into Earth-3, where they gain a victory on their home grounds. Seeking a neutral battleground for a showdown battle with the Justice League, the crime syndicate finds Earth-2. To ensure complete neutrality, they decide to oust the Justice Society from their own world. Detecting Ultraman's vision, peering into their Earth, the Justice Society, through the magic of Dr. Fate, contacts the Justice League and discovers what has occurred so far. Continue now the follow-up adventure to the story outlined above. The The most dangerous dangerous Earth of all. Man, I've been dreaming about the crime syndicate, I think, (laughs) (laughs) every night for the last week, you know, after all the prep and photoshopping and all that sort of stuff. Sure. Exhausting. So the story opens in page two. We have a recap sort of flashbacky panel at the beginning, which is basically the cover to issue 29 yes. uh-huh. of the JSA looking down into their crystal ball and looking down at the Justice League. And, and the caption at the top says, Freed long enough by the potent magic of Dr. Fate from the spell of the Master Criminal Power Ring, the Justice League of America relates what has happened to them and the awesome threat posed to Earth 2 by the Crime Syndicates of America. And Flash says, The crime syndicate intends attacking you in Earth 2. And Green Lantern adds, After they dispose of you, they plan to bring us there and use it as a battleground to decide which of us is the superior fighting force. Frozen with interest, the Justice Society of Earth 2 listens. Yeah, and it's it's nice, this panel, the way they're all sort of illuminated. There's shadows and stuff. It's, I really with, like this. With the glow coming yeah, off of the Yeah, it's lovely, isn't it? It's, yeah, it's, yeah I'm, I'm struck because you can probably tell, I mean, this is especially the lighting on Doctor Fate and Doctor Midnight is beautiful. Yeah, fantastic. And there's three voices coming off it and they could be anyone, quite frankly. <laughs> we'll just assume that the first one's maybe Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman and I'll say, we'd like nothing better than to join you in your fight against the crime syndicate. And let's just say Superman says the second one. But when Doctor Fate's magic wears off, we will be helpless once again. And um, Batman's probably the third yeah, one. Yeah, go for it. At least we were able to warn you, fellow crime fighters. And panel three shows the Justice League looking up. It's, it's like a hole in the ceiling almost, looking yes, up at the, yeah. the Justice Society, looking down at them. And again, the lighting on the JSA looks terrific. So we have a caption which says, The voices of the Justice League members throb with sincerity as they call out their fateful warning. Yep, and Superman says, The supervillains of the crime syndicate tricked us when at Owlman's suggestion, he had powering put a special vibratory force in the bodies of the crime syndicate members. And Dean Lanson continues. So that upon our contact with them, and their calling out Volthoom, they were able to vibrate themselves and us into Earth-3 and defeat us. As the crystal ball clears and the Justice League returns to its inactive state. We see the Justice Society, presumably in the headquarters, but there's no background detail. It's just a big orange room. Hawkman is looking at a globe. Black Canary is looking at a television screen on the wall. Doctor Midnight is looking at a tabletop map, sort of model of a city. I think he's going to play Settlers of Catan. (laughs) 
It's like um, it's, it's very much like a, a game. Yeah, uh, has, he, has he been down to Games Workshop <laughs> or something? Doctor Fate regards the big crystal ball, and Starman is regarding a map of the world on the wall. Yes, and so from left to right, Hawkman considers and asks, "When will the crime syndicate attack us?" As Black Canary looks at the news on the television, she says, "Where?" And as Doctor Midnight gazes down at his um, his hobby, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Considering yeah. his next move in Sethos of Catan, he says, How? And then Dr. Fate says, Remember, do not make contact with them, or they'll vothoom us into Earth 3, where they'll have the advantage of their home grounds. We move on to page 3, and suddenly, as Hawkman stares at the world globe, Johnny Quick bursts out of it. Gosh. It's like Johnny is sort of just drifting up out of it. It's almost yeah. like he's like an apparition just sort of flowing out, and Hawkman says... On guard, fellow members, the crime syndicate invasion has oh, begun. yes, this is kicking off, man, right. Across the vast expanse of their secret sanctuary, the other Justice Society members face similar challenges. Yep, Black Canary is dumbstruck almost as she sees Superwoman stepping out of the television. She says, at all costs, no contact with them now. And Owlman emerges from Dr. Midnight's tabletop diorama. Power Ring emerges from Dr. Fate's crystal ball. And Ultraman steps out from the, the map that Starman is looking at on the wall. And Starman says, Above all, don't give him the chance to save Althoom. Outward into the air toward the high ceiling leaps Hawkman, just as Johnny Quick lunges at him. And Hawkman thinks to himself, Johnny Quick's super speed plus the suction created by my rapidly beating wings will lift him into the air. And the next panel we see that working. Yeah, Johnny starts to drift up as Hawkman beats his wings ferociously. Swept off his feet, the fastest man in Earth 3 is drawn towards the ceiling like a stone shot from a sling. Hawkman thinks, unable to escape the updraft, he'll hit a ceiling beam and be knocked cold. And Johnny Quick thinks, Quick thinking. Looks like the Justice Society's going to give us a good a battle as the Justice League. Then to the winged wonder surprise, his foe begins vibrating so swiftly that... And we see Johnny starting to vibrate and Hawkman thinks... He's vibrating harmlessly through the wall. High into the air outside the secret sanctuary zooms the man from Earth 3 with Hawkman in pursuit. And we see Johnny continuing to rise and he thinks to himself, This is as high as I go. When I reverse direction I'll break my descent by building up air pressure under me with super swift movements of my feet. Hawkman flies towards him. Feet drumming with incredible speed against the very air, building up resistance to his fall, Johnny Quick begins his downfall. And Hawkman flies up towards Johnny, who we can see doing... It looks like he's dancing in thin air. It does, yeah. So I'm liking how they're giving Johnny sort of... He's making interesting use of his powers. Yes. Uh-huh. Straight away, it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. cool. So anyway, so Hawkman thinks... I'll counter that move by sweeping that air pressure away with my wings. The mighty pinions erupt into action, sending the speedster tumbling heels overhead. Johnny's been disturbed and he starts to fall down towards Hawkman, but Johnny thinks, I'll match him trick for trick. Rotating himself swiftly, Johnny Quick forms himself into a living propeller blade. And we see a big circular motion being created by Johnny spinning faster and faster. Hawkman flies underneath him and thinks, I dare not let him come in contact with me to save Ulthum and vibrate me into his own world. Johnny has now made it to the ground. The caption says, Dropping lightly to the ground, the arch-criminal begins windmilling his arms, setting up a downdraft to catch Hawkman in its grip. This is terrific. Johnny's doing the double arm twist thing that I'm sure I've seen Barry Allen do thousands of times. Yes. And right enough, Hawkman is struggling. He thinks, Oh, can't fly out of this vortex, bringing me downwards. We move on to page five. The caption at the top of the first panel says, Faster and faster, he drops directly toward his laughing foe. We see Johnny, arms still spinning, and it's clear that he's laughing at the arm. Yeah. really, really good on this. Um, Johnny declares, Ha ha! Oh, this is great sport, Hawkman. I'm really sharpening my fighting edge for that upcoming battle with the Justice League. And Hawkman thinks, I have one slim chance for victory. As the winged wonder careens downward, Johnny Quick leaps backward. And we see that happening. Johnny's arms are starting to slow down. The whirlwind effect is, is lessening, and Hawkman says, he is doing just as I anticipated. He's instinctively backing away to avoid being hit by me. With a supreme effort, Hawkman wings his way toward his antagonist and... With a cracking big POW sound effect, Hawkman punches Johnny Quick, knocks him out. And Hawkman thinks... I hit him so hard and unexpectedly that he never had a chance to say Volthoom. As the unconscious criminal from Earth 3 lies crumbled at Hawkman's feet... Hawkman looks very triumphant and he shouts... I've won. 
And then a mysterious voice says, You think you've won, Hawkman. Actually, you've lost. Meanwhile, as Dr. Fate sees his foe erupt from the crystal ball, a burst of magical lightning runs from his fingertips. It's a brilliant bit of simultaneous action. Obviously, all these little battles are happening at the same time. And Power Ring flies out from the crystal ball, using his Power Ring to create a hand which is trying to smother the lightning that Dr. Fate is firing at him. Dr. Fate thinks to himself, If that hand touches me and he cries Volthoom, the battle will be over before it starts. With calm confidence, Dr. Fate dissipates the clutching hand. And Dr. Fate's lightning bolts have the desired effect, and Power Ring's constructed hand fades out. Power Ring says, Score one for you, Dr. Fate, but the game's just begun. Out into the open reaches of the sky beyond the sanctuary go the Masters of Magic, Ring and Lightning. Dr. Fate and Power Ring flying up into the sky. Power Ring uses his ring to conjure some, basically some green energy mosquitoes. And he says, One touch from the stingers of my power-winged mosquitoes, and you're done for. As the thunder of their buzzing fills the air, the mystical mage surrounds himself with mosquito netting. And we see that, and it's terrific. And there's some giant mosquitoes buzzing him, and they literally just buzz, buzz. And Power Ring's flying along, and he thinks, Clever, clever. That's the only way he could have saved himself. I love the fact that Dr. Fate conjures up mystic mosquito <laughs> It's incredible. Yes. Amazing. I can imagine like Dr. Strange doing it. It's kind of going back to his like, original uh, version where he had like molecular mastery. Yes. And it was, it was almost more like Firestorm in some stories. Aye. Yeah, yeah. Really uh-huh. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. So Brilliant. Anyway, next panel. Yep. Then, as the Verdant insects blindly fly at their prey... We see Dr. Fate in his net, and it's having the desired effect, because all the mosquitoes are popping out of existence. The magical powers in the net are destroying them. Then, below, the Earth-3 criminal... And Dr. Fate sort of swoops down with the cape billing out behind him, Mm -hmm. and powering is flying off, slightly further off in the distance. And Dr. Fate has magicked a giant wheel with all the, the symbols of the Zodiac on it, and he has it between them. And Powering thinks to himself, He switched to the attack! By forming a great metal wheel and swinging me around with it as it rotates faster and faster. I'll get rid of that weapon in a hurry. A beam from the power ring dissolves the circle. Yeah, and all of the symbols, the zodiac symbols, start floating off it. We see power ring zapping it, Dr. Fate in the background. It's all at the perspective of the previous panel is sort of shifted. And power ring thinks, huh, on the underside of the wheel, the signs of the zodiac come into life. Animated by Dr. Fate's magic, the astral figures rise and attack the stunned criminal. And we see Power Ring just being <laughs> battered by them, I suppose, literally, because he says, Battering me into unconsciousness! Dr. Fate says, Ensuring my triumph. Another mysterious voice mm. says, On the contrary, Dr. Fate, it has resulted in your defeat. We cut back to GSA headquarters. The caption says, Meanwhile, as Owlman leaps at him, Dr. Midnight hurls a special blackout bomb on the floor of the secret hideout. Something appropriate, I think, about Owlman and Doctor Midnight fighting. Yeah, definitely. There's a there's a much later story, Batman and Doctor Midnight are sort of linked together as sort of the closest equivalents at one point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that all sort of fits. So Owlman is leaping off the ta- the now it looks actually like it's been destroyed, which is a shame. The tabletop yeah. diorama that Doctor Midnight and his pals spent so long making out of paper mache and milk bottle tops, <laughs> and sadly not to scale, you know, crudeness no. of the model, etc. Dr. Midnight hurls a blackout bomb at the leaping Owlman thinks to himself, although I'm blind, these infrared goggles enable me to see both in light and in utter darkness. Handy recap of his power there. Swiftly, a pall of ebony darkness rises about the jewel. In this blackness, I can see Owlman clearly. But Owlman thinks, he forgets that an owl can see in the dark too. The master criminal from Earth 3 drives a solid fist against the jaw of his Earth 2 foe, but... And we see Owlman's fist passing right through Dr. Midnight's face. Huh? My fist went right through him, as if he were a phantom. On the next page, we get a close-up of Dr. Midnight, and he thinks to himself, on the chance that Owlman might be able to see in the dark too, I threw a distortion blackout bomb that made him see me off to one side instead of where I really am. Now, I'll blast a hole in the ground into which he'll fall as he stumbles around looking for me. But, as a yawning hole gapes for the criminal from Earth 3, Owlman comes to an abrupt stop. And we see through all the fog from the blackout bomb, we see that a hole is emerged in the ground right enough. Owlman's standing right next to it, and he thinks, Why should I go searching for him when, with my superior brain, I can force Dr. Midnight to come to me? And we see the hole in the ground, and Dr. Midnight stepping out over it, because Owlman is generating like waves of force from his brain that are obviously flying towards Dr. Midnight, obviously affecting him. The caption says, 
As that mental force grips him, the Earth 2 superhero moves forward, stepping into his own trap. Oh, right, and um, Old Man thinks, I hear his footsteps as he approaches. I don't have to see him to hit him. And the next panel, basically, they both tip into the, the hole. As Owl Man drives a savage blow at his opponent, he overbalances himself and... Oh! And then the next panel, Owl Man falls into the hole, but Dr. Midnight manages to grab hold of the side. As his opponent hurtles past him into the deep pits, Dr. Midnight grips an edge with his powerful fingers. I cut the rim just in time. When this old man falls, he cries, Yeah, going to crash, land on the bottom where not even my great brain can save me. <laughs> Dr. Midnight descends into the pit. By toe holds and hand grips, he descends to where his foe lies crumpled. And Dr. Midnight says, I beat him. And the mysterious voice returns, saying, No, Dr. Midnight, old man beat you. We move on to page nine. As she materialises from the TV screen to which Power Ring blended her atoms in this invasion of Earth 2, Superwoman unleashes her lasso. That's a fantastic caption, isn't it? <laughs> it I think is. I'm, almost, yeah, I'm going to get you to record that as my answer phone message. <laughs> so, Superwoman bursts from the TV screen in a wall, lasso in hand, and she says, I'll make this short and sweet. Black Canary ducks out of the way and thinks to herself, not as long as I avoid contact with her and that word, Valthoom. As the golden loop flies toward her, Black Canary calls upon her marvellous athletic skill to avoid it. Yep, we see Black Canary doing some acrobatics to jump out the way, and she thinks to herself, while I leap forward, I'll slip her fridgy pellet from my canary amulet, since I don't dare come in contact with her. When Superwoman's mouth falls open in surprise at her opponent's fantastic somersaults... This is great! Um, Black Canary's basically shoved this pellet into Superwoman's mouth, and Superwoman looks very stunned. Oh! And Black Canary can be seen thinking off-panel. Why she is able to say, Valthoom, I lay my cold pill down her throat to freeze her vocal cords. So yes, Black Canary carries pellets that will freeze someone else's vocal cords. Yes, and then amulets. Yeah. And on her neck. Yeah, it reminds me of our man's radio belt in the, the last team-up. Obviously this is Black Canary, the original Black Canary, who hasn't got any superpowers. It's just That's super right, skills. of course. So she does not have a Canary cry yet. Which we're also used to. Uh, yeah. Interesting. That's something we'll be talking about yeah. a lot yeah, uh, in the yeah. future. Black Canary, so. The way Black Canary's sort of storyline plays out over the next 20 years is fascinating. Mm-hmm. There's another one for it. Anyway, we continue. We're at the bottom of page 9 now if you're reading along. Black Canary is right on target. A moment later, a super chill paralyzes Superwoman's throat. Superwoman starts falling forwards. Black Canary moves forward as if to catch her. And Black Canary thinks, now that she can't speak, I'm free to come in battle contact with her. And the girl gladiator catches the amazing Amazon of Earth 3 in a judo grip. This is fantastic. And Black Canary has grabbed Superwoman and twists and round with her and she says... Let's see how you work your way out of this, honey. But the superior strength of the female felon proves too much for Black Canary to overcome, as... Superwoman recovers and throws Black Canary against the wall. Black Canary thinking, she's mighty strong, all right, but strength alone isn't the decisive factor in a fight. Again, the girl gladiator grips her antagonist in a cunning hold, and... Black Canary grabs Superwoman by the shoulders, thinking... The basic principle of jujitsu is that you use your opponent's strength against him, or in this case, her... In a rapid succession, a touch on a pressure point, a quick twist, and wrench of the body. And Black Canary flips Superwoman over and down onto the ground. And Superwoman drops with Black Canary pinning her helpless. Black Canary leans over Superwoman and thinks, Now, all I have to do is grasp her magic lariat and circle her with it, and she's my prisoner. And she does this successfully, as we see in the bottom panel of page 10. The artwork's really good here. Yeah, it's fantastic. The figures and the faces mm-hmm. compared to, you know, what... Admittedly, there's no background, so you can focus yeah. totally on, uh-huh. on the action. Some so of the, great. you know, compared to some of the other Sikowski stuff, because obviously when we move on to the next chapter with Starman, there's a bit more background detail and mm-hmm. the figures aren't quite as good. But anyway, Black Canary is gloating over a tied up and tangled up superwoman and Black Canary says... I'll tap her three times, just as a wrestling referee would, to signal I'm the winner of our bout. And the mysterious voice returns, saying... It's that man again. Tough break, Black Canary. By winning, you lose. We move to page 11. Simultaneous action. Ultraman's emerging from the map on the wall. No sooner does Ultraman emerge from the wall map near Starman than... Starman's quick on the draw. He's got the cosmic rod out and he's zapping him and Starman thinks... I'll use my cosmic rod to... Hurl Ultraman far out into space. 
Instantly, the mightiest man of Earth 3 is plunged into the void between the worlds as wow. his Earth 2 foe follows. Yeah, and we see Starman and Ultraman out in space, the void between the worlds. That's interesting. Mm. And there's meteorites flying about. There's like stars. There looks like planets. And as Pete pointed out when we were doing a prep for this, it's not the jet black of space. It's a sort of purpley pale background, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, sort of purpley grey. It might be the printing, in fact, it probably is the printing process at the time. They couldn't do pure black. But it's, it's a really good effect of making it look kind of extra dimensional, unearthly, something we don't usually see. Yeah, this, uh, I'm in, really intrigued with this void between the worlds. I mean, they're confronting each other across what looks like a small asteroid belt. And Ultraman cries, Good going, Starman. You've done the Justice Society proud by your fast work so far. Starman thinks, I'll make them even prouder of me by diverting that swarm of meteoroids at him. But Ultraman catches those hurtling chunks of meteoric rock and, with his titanic super strength, fuses them into one mighty globe. And we see that happening. Ultraman now has a giant rock in his hands, for want of a better way of putting it. And he thinks, It was a lucky day for me when I found those other Earths. I haven't felt so alive in ages. With the rapidity of thought... The supercriminal hurls this missile at his opponent. So basically, yeah, in this panel, Ultraman flings the big combination combined meteorite rock at Starman, who frankly looks terrific. Yeah. It must be said, as you could almost think Jack Burnley had drawn this, it's beautiful. Because his cosmic rod can tap all the forces of the cosmos, Starman alters the nature of that massive meteorite <laughs> and sends it flying back at Ultraman. You know, we're big fans of Starman because of the, the 90s James Robinson yes. series, which we've mentioned many times, and we will keep mentioning many times. We're going to mention it again very soon because of <laughs> one of the Flash team-ups. True. But I don't remember anything like this sort of quite happening. Starman's thoughts as he sends the meteoroid flying back towards Ultraman, I've turned it into a nuclear bomb. I know the explosive won't hurt Ultraman, but it may weaken him enough to give me a chance to overcome him. He's turned it into a nuclear bomb. It's quite wow. close to all things considered. Wow. This is, I mean, the artwork in these pages is just phenomenal. And given the post-crisis mental breakdown that uh, of course. Ted has. Yeah. One of the retcons that James Robinson introduced to the main DCU via an initially Elseworlds miniseries called The Golden Age was that the original Golden Age Starman was involved in the development of the Manhattan Project, basically, and plays a lot of stuff about how his guilt over this led to him having a breakdown. So it's quite interesting that at this point he's been so casual. And casual and blasé. About nuclear bombs. Maybe that was, you know, his, his uh, <laughs> way to make a Ted's not in too many of the team-ups. Maybe this is causes a resurgence. I don't know. Anyway, Mm. so we move on to page 12. The explosive globe hits and erupts in a blinding flare of titanic energy. Gorgeous panel showing the explosion with Ultraman caught in silhouette in the heart of it. Starman projects himself a little force field with his cosmic rod and he thinks, I'll protect myself from the effects of the explosion with my cosmic rod. Doing exactly what it says in the tin. And Ultraman thinks... It begins to look that the only way I'll beat Starman is by taking that rod away from him. At the same time, the Earth 2 crime fighter draws a solar prominence away from the sun, and... There's basically a big tendril of flame emerging from the sun, and Starman has caught it with the cosmic rod, and he's firing it towards Ultraman. He's quite tenacious here. He's like, yeah. He knows that Ultraman's not probably going to be phased by the bomb, and so he's going for it. And anyway, Ultraman thinks... That rod is his only weapon. Without it, he's helpless. Swiftly inhaling some air from the planet Earth. And we see Ultraman doing a big, big sucking in. And he thinks, But first, I'll do away with that solar flare. And the caption for the next panel says, He exhales it at the solar extension with his super breath. And Ultraman concludes his thought, By blowing it out. And that's what happens right enough in one go. Twin beams of radiant heat stab from his super eyes as he calls on his heat vision to disarm the foe. And in the bottom panel of page 12, we see Ultraman zapping the cosmic rod in Starman's hand, causing Starman to declare, Oh, my weapon's become too hot to hold. Right, you gotta let it go. Darting forward, the Earth-3 Man of Steel grasps the rod. Sure enough, Ultraman grabs the cosmic rod now that Ted's let go of it. With the cosmic powers of this rod to go with my own super body... I'm absolutely invincible. And then the caption for the next panel says, And yet, no sooner does Ultraman hold that power scepter in his hand than... We see Ultraman having some trouble with the cosmic rod. It's like it's flaring up in his hand and he says, Great galaxies, this rod is composed of any matter. <laughs> Amazing. And this again, the artwork is just really nice here. I mean, it's back to the slightly blocky figure work that we've seen from Sikowski in the earlier issues. But it's, it's nice. Overall, I'm digging it. Anyway, Starman says, Yes, Ultraman, it's a duplicate rod I created with my true cosmic rod. This is one trap, 
not even you can escape from. And then we get a nice big close-up of Starman's face, as he says... Antimatter is matter made of particles with electric charges in them, which are opposed to the electrical charge in normal matter. When such antimatter touches normal matter, like your body, the result is an explosion that makes a nuclear bomb look like a bursting toy balloon. With all his mighty strength, Ultraman clings to that awesomely dangerous rod. And the sort of fake antimatter rod is lighting up, casting a glow over Ultraman who says, It's taken all my greatest efforts to prevent this from blowing up. I dare not relax an instant. It's no use, Ultraman. Sooner or later we'll blow up. An explosion will knock you out. As if in answer to Starman's words, a fiery incandescence fills this corner of space as... The antimatter cosmic road explodes and Ultraman is caught in a big ball of flame. It's very, very striking. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, compared to the how short the Doctor Midnight and Owlman fight was, they're really giving Starman a chance to shine here because you know, it was his first appearance. In the, yeah, true. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's good that he's getting a bit of space. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Starman is floating a little bubble that he's made of the cosmic rod and he thinks, protected by my cosmic rod, I can see the explosion and know that I've defeated him. And Ultraman, caught in the heart of the explosion, thinks, Nothing can harm my invulnerable body. But the force of the detonation is robbing me of my senses. And then the mysterious voice. Is that cries mysterious again. voice again? Yes. Seeing is not believing, Starman. Ultraman has won, and you have lost. We move on to the top of page 14, and the first panel we basically see Hawkman, Doctor Midnight, Doctor Fate, Black Canadian, and Starman sort of fading in. And the caption says At the very moment of their triumphs, a strange sensation overcomes each of the Justice Society members. And Hawkman thinks to himself, Ah, I'm fading away from Earth too. And Black Canary thinks, Strange alien forces are travelling through my body. And Starman thinks, I'm being shifted through some sort of dimensional barrier. And in the next instant, they find themselves on Earth 3, dazed and helpless. Yep, all the members of the Justice Society are on the ground, and the crime syndicate are lording it over them, and Owlman declares, this time I planned matters so that even if the Justice Society members didn't come into contact with us and give us a chance to save Vothum, they'd automatically defeat themselves by saying that they had won. Tricky. <gasps> and Power Ring says, With my Power Ring, I put a force in each one of their bodies that would trigger their transference into Earth 3. And in the final panel of this page, it's a lovely long panel, it's yep. a big close-up of all the big syndicate members. smiling, grinning kittens. They're all grinning, they're all looking really cheesy. They all look yeah. really individual as well, which is great. Aye, I keep saying as if I'm surprised, but I'm surprised just by given how blocky and loose some of the earlier stuff Sikowski's done, but this is this is really... I mean, there's a touch of the Joe Kubert's to that power ring. Yes, definitely. It's fascinating. Definitely. And uh, Johnny Quick says... All right, let's put the Justice Society members in the special prison we've prepared for them. And power ring continues... After which we'll shift the Justice League to Earth 2. We'll be waiting to fight them in one final knockdown drag-out battle. Continued on third page following. It's a nice DC subscription advert. You can subscribe to The Flash, Green Lantern or Wonder Woman. And Justice League as well, if you like. And there's a nice Palisades Amusement Barks advert as well. And now we're into Chapter 2 of The Most Dangerous Earth of All. As the magical beam from the Sorcerer's Circlet on the hand of Power Ring cleaves through the misty borderlands between Earth 2 and Earth 1, the Justice League stirs to life. Roused from their trance, they are drawn bodily through the vibrational barrier separating the two universes. You see, obviously it must be Power Ring's hand casting a big green beam and the Justice League members being drawn up out of space and towards it. And if you want a reminder, that's Green Lantern, Superman, Flash, Wonder Woman and Batman. And Wonder Woman says... Great Hera, the crime syndicate must have defeated the Justice Society. Batman says... Yes, and now it's our turn to appear on Earth 2 and do battle with them. As their feet settle down on firm ground, high above their heads, a green flare erupts. And we see the members of the Justice League in silhouette, which is really quite striking. Yeah, it's very good. It's very nice. Mm -hmm. And the green flame bursting up in the sky above them. And the Flash says, that's the signal, starting our war game. Batman says, here they come. Battle stations, everyone. We move on to page 16. From north, from south, from east, from west, from directly overhead... Come, the superpower criminals of Earth 3. Up to meet them go Superman and Green Lantern, while Wonder Woman, Flash and Batman hurl themselves along the ground, ready for this cataclysmic clash of superpowered characters. Page 16 is five low, long, 
stacked panels showing all the action. It's quite complicated. It's very fast moving. A lot it happens. Look, it's exciting. I bet it would look great in a film. It would. Right, so the first panel of page 16, Ultraman is in the same panel as Green Lantern and The Flash and Ultraman is setting off his heat vision. I'll start things off with a hot reception for The Flash. Green Lantern zooms forward and uses his power ring to generate a radiator. It's great. It looks amazing. It's like a freestyling radiator you'd see in a church hall or something. Yeah. And Green Lantern's saying, Oh no, you won't. All that heat belongs in a radiator. We move on to panel two. On the right-hand side of the panel, Johnny Quick is whirling his arms again. He's confronting Wonder Woman. And Johnny Quick is thinking, I'll create a suction that will draw Wonder Woman into this bed of super quicksand from which there is no escape. And then on the other side of the panel, Batman is watching what's happening But behind him is Power Ring. So Power Ring then says, Let me be the first to register a victory by knocking out Batman. And he's firing essentially a green arrow behind Batman. But Batman is observing what's going on with Johnny Quick and Wonder Woman. And he thinks, My Batarang will save Wonder Woman from that quick threat. And sure enough, he throws the Batarang and it goes flying towards Johnny. We guess he must be successful. Because in the next panel, Wonder Woman says, Teamwork always pays off for us. I hope it does now. And she's trying to lasso Owlman. Meanwhile, Superwoman, and this is all in the same panel, is trying to lasso Green Lantern. Superwoman says, I'll stop Green Lantern from interfering with Ultraman. And in panel four, we see that Owlman is watching Superman flying in to catch the arrow which Power Ring fired. And Owlman thinks, I'll try to get control of Superman's mind with my super brain. Superman is thinking to himself, I can't let anything hurt Batman. And in the bottom panel, we see the Flash zooming along and preventing Superwoman from lassoing Green Lantern. And the Flash thinks to himself, by my great speed, I can create an updraft that will swerve Superwoman's lasso away from my buddy Green Lantern. As swiftly as their fellow members are attacked, Green Lantern, Wonder Woman, Flash, Superman and Batman ignore their own safeties to spring to the aid of their fellow Justice Leaguers. Yeah, so Wonder Woman must have lassoed Owlman and obviously Superman caught the thing that was going to hit Batman whilst Batman was saving Wonder Woman from joining. Good grief. I mean, the storytelling is absolutely fantastic. It is. They, they really don't make them like that anymore. No. That's a shame. So anyway, we move on to the top of page 17. As the tide of battle forces them apart, the combatants find themselves squared off one against the other. Yeah, and basically for the next couple of pages, it's it's like for like, mm-hmm. which is what we expected mm, from the beginning, yeah. but no, this is it. Yep, and we see Superman and Ultraman out in space. And again, it's that purple-tinted space that we talked about earlier mm-hmm. on. Superman is using his vision powers and he's thinking, Our powers are too evenly matched for one to win over the other, except by a trick. Ahead of me, with my telescopic vision, I see a green kryptonite meteoroid. With a desperate burst of speed on the part of Ultraman, he races past Superman, who is deliberately slowing down and drops towards the massive chunk of kryptonite. And Ultraman says as he drops down, I know what you're up to, Superman. I've telescopic vision too. I saw this kryptonite just as you did. And Superman is thinking, What Ultraman doesn't know is that kryptonite weakens me, though it gives him added powers. Yep, and the caption for the next panel says, Then as the Earth 3 Man of Steel sets foot on that awesome piece of matter, he finds himself absolutely paralysed with superpowers. And Ultraman has stood there, there's lightning flashing all around him, and he thinks, I have so many superpowers all of a sudden, I can't handle any of them. Each power is fighting the others in an effort to get at Superman. And, as a result, I can't move a single muscle. Superman is in the background thinking to himself, I defeated him by giving him too much superpower, just as overloading an electric circuit will cause it to break down. We cut to Power Ring and Green Lantern, and the caption says, And many miles away, Power Ring confronts Green Lantern. A needle beam bursts from one Power Ring to the other, which begins to glow with increased intensity. And it's clear that Green Lantern is trying to remove Power Ring's Power Ring, and Power Ring gives forth, Do you think you can remove my magical ring by such crude methods? Think again, Green Lantern! As Power Ring hurls his will into his sorcerous circlets, he forms a gigantic hammer. With this mallet, I'll smash you flat. Huh, so big. Bigger than I meant to make it. And Power Ring has conjured a giant mallet, but it's, as he says, it's, it's huge. And Green Lantern can be seen thinking, good. 
my plan to give him more superpower than his will can control is working. So he wasn't trying to steal the ring. He, he was wasn't. trying to overload oh, it. Oh, it was a conceit. Fantastic. Like to the stunned wonder of the arch criminal, his weapon falls to the polar ice. So massive it is that Power Ring exhausts himself as he struggles futilely to raise it. Power Ring struggles to manipulate the massive mallet and he says, Huh, can't budge the mighty hammer. Green Lantern thinks, I deliberately added power from my own ring into his, knowing he couldn't possibly cope with that much ring energy. The Earth 3 criminal falls easy victim to a rock-like fist. Kraken, because Green Lantern's just flown over and punched him in the jaw. I kept barely enough power in my ring to fly at him and deliver this knockout blow. Now I'll take back the powers I lent him. This is really nice because it's actually very similar to the image on the cover. The cover's very much the uh, crime syndicate fighting their Justice League counterparts. Absolutely. Power ring zooming in and how Jordan, Batman punching Owl Man and Johnny Quick and Flash just sort of zooming at each other. Yeah. Really? That's not going to end well. No. <laughs> I, I like the cover. It's, it's simplicity is its strength. Yes, a lovely and a nice orange background, which yeah. you don't see very often. Yeah, and it was quite difficult to paint over when I was using it as the base for the, the cover I created for episode 17, you know, which was our Justice... Before the Crime yeah, Syndicate. Oh, yeah, our, legacy, our inverse legacy of the Crime Syndicate, which yeah. I was deliberately creating and trying to make it look a bit silver agey and we, we had a comment on Instagram which sort of suggested I've been quite successful so that was a massive boost to my ego <laughs> I can't lie but it's a nice cover very different to the last one and there's a certain certain spark to sort of basically seeing the heroes fighting these versions of themselves yeah very exciting so the, the battle continues yes elsewhere Superwoman prepares to fling a huge boulder down on Wonder Woman and right enough, Superwoman has the boulder caught in her lasso and she's bringing it down towards Wonder Woman. And Wonder Woman thinks, we have such equal powers that I've got to outmaneuver her. And Superwoman says, Oh ho, so you're trying to catch hold of my lariat and yank it from my hand, are you? The Earth 3 Amazon diverts her golden rope to send it twisting about that of her opponents. Well, two can play at that game, and it seems I play it better than you do. And Superwoman has lassoed Wonder Woman's lasso, essentially. Oh, no. And Wonder Woman thinks, she did just as I expected. I deliberately allowed her to take my lasso from me. Possessed of two lariats, Superwoman hurls the great ropes at her Earth-1 counterpart. And we see that going on and Superwoman says, With these around you, you'll be unable to make a move against me. To her surprise, as the magic lassoes sail up and outwards. Yeah, I wonder if there's some sort of light poles repel effect sort of happening yeah. here because Superwoman is having trouble controlling the two magical lassoes. And in fact, she says, Oh, it takes more of my super strength to control both these ropes than I thought. And Wonder Woman is zooming up the hill towards her. And Wonder Woman is thinking, Before she can recover from her surprise, I'll rely on my super swiftness to put her out of commission. With every ounce of her mighty strength, Wonder Woman slams home her fist. Yep, Wonder Woman knocks her out. We see both lassoes falling to the ground. We move on to the next battle. Across half a world, the two fastest men on two Earths tackle each other with speeds that come close to that of light itself. Fantastic panel here. And we're in the desert. And mm. Flash is doing his classic, creating a, a whirlwind of dust by running around in a circle. And he's thinking... The only way I can use my speed to defeat him is to make him even faster than he is. And Johnny's retaliating by doing a classic spinning top manoeuvre, and he's thinking... Flash, whipping up a dust storm at me. Yeah, it's obvious that Johnny is doing the spin to try and counter the effects of what Barry's yeah. doing, I think. Mm -hmm. After shunting the sandstorm away from him, Johnny Quick races toward the Scarlet Speedster, only to find that Flash is drawing him along with a terrific wind suction. Barry is speeding off ahead with Johnny behind him and Johnny says, When I hit you, it'll be with the impact of a fantastically fast cannonball. And Flash is thinking, You just keep on thinking that, fellow. Over the page onto page 20. Suddenly, the Earth-3 villain finds he is moving so swiftly that he runs right through the Flash. I can't stop. I've worked up so much speed that it's running away from me. My muscles are going so swiftly that they don't respond to the commands of my brain. And right enough, it's a great panel. We see Johnny just running straight through Barry's if Barry's come to halt and letting Johnny run on ahead. It's a matter of seconds only before Johnny Quick, his body unable to govern its own speed responses, collapses. And we see Johnny on the ground, Barry running up to him, Barry thinking, I hope my fellow members are doing as well as I. While on the other side of the continent... Yep, it's the turn of Owlman and Batman. 
and Batman is trying to fire a punch at Old Man, and Old Man is thinking, I'm making Batman miss me every time he aims a blow at my jaw. My super brain can easily control his. Batman is, yeah, he's not having a good time, he says, Oof, missed again. And then Old Man lays a punch on Batman, saying, You make a target I can't miss. Batman thinks, I've got to take this punishment, trusting in my great physical stamina to withstand his blows until... And then the bottom panel of page 20... Surprisingly, the Gotham City detective turns his back on his foe. Batman continues his train of thought from the previous panel by thinking... Until I can take advantage of his mental domination of my brain to turn his greatest weapon against him. Like this. Owl Man looks like he's conjuring. It's a great panel. Yeah. It really highlights the difference in their facial features. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not Bruce Wayne. No. Anyway, Owlman thinks... I'll give him another mental command to turn around. Then Batman thinks as we reach the top of page 21... The left side of my brain at which Owlman was beaming his thought controls governs my right side movements, but by turning my back on him, I'll receive his orders with the right side of my brain, which <laughs> controls my... Left side. Fantastic. And then, yes, in the next panel, Batman is successful and knocks Owlman out. Then Batman whirls, and as Owlman steps within range to deliver a blow... Batman thinks... By commanding me to turn around, it leaves me my left hand free to catch him off guard. Sure enough, Owlman goes down like a sack of spuds. And then we see the defeated crime syndicate all lined up looking very unhappy... Ultraman looks like the actor George Baker. He does, actually, yeah. We might post a comparison. The Justice League look very calm and resolute in their victory. The caption says, As the defeated crime syndicate members regain consciousness, the Justice League gathers to discuss what is to be done with them. And Wonder Woman says, We certainly can't return them to Earth-3. They might find a way to overcome us again on their home ground. And Green Lantern adds, Hmm. Judging by their expressions, they're disappointed we're not going to do just that. Story page 22, The Most Dangerous Earth of All, Chapter 3. As the talk continues, the features of the supercriminals become distorted by stark fear. Flash says, why don't we leave them imprisoned here on Earth 2? And Green Lantern adds, uh-huh, their frightened expressions indicate they don't relish that suggestion either. Once more, that same frightened look crosses the faces of the Wicked Five when... Superman says, how about putting them on Earth 1? We outclass them in our world. Batman says, No, they're just as afraid of that idea. But why? What can they possibly have to fear on Earth 1 or Earth 2? The caption for panel 3 says, It is only when Green Lantern offers a solution that broad smiles stretch the lips of the Earth 3 super beings. Let's simply isolate them in the vibrational barrier lands between Earths 2 and 3. And a voice who we can't, we can't actually ascribe to anyone. I wonder if it's, it's probably the Flash, do you think? Yeah, probably the Flash. Okay, so Flash, yeah. Flash says, they sure go for that idea, so that's it. But first, let's find out why they like it. This panel, we didn't really say, panel three just has them all just going, mm-hmm, yeah. big cheesies, it's great. And in panel four, Green Lantern holds his power ring up and he says, I'll handle that assignment. I'll command Power Ring's magic gem to tell us what happened after the crime syndicate defeated the Justice Society. As the Emerald Gladiator flashes his mental command... And we get a big close-up of the sparkling Power Ring that belongs to Power Ring, (laughs) and a voice comes from it saying... When they imprisoned the Justice Society members on Earth-3, Owlman suggested that they take one last precaution. They so constructed their prison that if the Justice Society is ever freed from it, a special device would automatically blow up Earths 1 and 2. That's a bit of an escalation. Superman says, No wonder they were so scared. If we'd imprisoned them on Earth 1 or 2, their plot would have backfired on them, destroying them too. And then Flash says, Which just about makes Earth 3 the most dangerous Earth of all. That's the name of the story. He said the thing. Drink. Moments later, Green Lantern vibrates the crime syndicate into the misty borderland between worlds. Sure enough, very similar powers that Green Lantern's ring had when he brought everyone through to the other Earth in issue 15. Mm -hmm. And then we have a slow dissolve to the imprisoned members of the Justice Society. And they're in a big glass case, and the caption says, Then the Justice League members enter Earth 3 to free their fellow superheroes from Earth 2. And Hawkman says, Free us, free us. Dr. Fate says, very impatiently, What are you waiting for? And Superman says, We don't dare set you free. And Green Lantern says, Not until I channel a destructive force that would have blown up Earths 1 and 2 into space, where it will blow up two dead worlds. 
everybody together, let her go, yeah. says Superman. Yeah, and Green Lantern is generating some sort of suctiony whirlwind that's absorbing all of the destructive force. It's going to blow up two dead worlds. That may have consequences. Anyway, we can see that the prison that the Justice Society is being held in starts to fall apart. Wonder Woman and Superman are sort of helping it along the way. And in the final panel, page 23, we see the Justice Society all bursting out of the prison. As they burst from their prison, the Justice Society is all questions. Hawkman says. What happened? Dr. Fate says. Where's the crime syndicate? Black Canary says. How'd you defeat them? And Dr. Midnight inquires. Where'd you learn our prison was booby-trapped? And Starman finishes by saying... Why did... And Wonder Woman interrupts them all by saying... Wait, wait, one at a time, please. And on top of this panel, we can see Green Lantern continuing to... Siphon off. Yes, the that's energy. the one I was struggling for, yes. all the, the, the jaggedy, explosive energy. So yeah, quite a lot happening there. We move on to top of page 24. And the ironic caption says... The story is quickly told, and... And we see the Justice Society and Justice League all standing together. All smiles, all smiles. Black Canary says, You did wonders and deserve congratulations, but don't you think we ought to make sure the crime syndicate can never escape? Superman says, Oh, we took care of that detail. Nobody dare set them free after the multi-language warnings we left posted around their dimensional barrier jail. And we see the society sat, stood, slouching, leaning, looking very unhappy in a sort of bubble that Green Lantern created. There's a sign... It's three signs sort of floating around this green prison bubble, one of which is in English and we can read it and it says, Warning, anyone attempting to set free the crime syndicate will destroy both themselves and the prisoners. They will be all right if left alone. And so will you. And that's us, more or less, with the final panel of page 24. We see the Justice League flying off with a Green Lantern-assisted power bubble and Doctor Fate with the Justice Society caught in a magic bubble of his own. They're flying off in separate directions. The caption says... Then the triumphant superheroes depart from Earth 3, travelling into Earth 2 by way of Dr. Fate's magical powers, and into Earth 1 on the strength of the Green Lantern's power ring. And Dr. Fate gives a cheery, Until we meet again. And Green Lantern says the final line of the comic. Who knows when that will be? The The end. end. It'll be next summer, Green Lantern, probably, if not before. I would think so, yes. So, so let's let's, let's talk, talk about it. let's talk about it. Yeah, it's very exciting. It'd be, really, it'd be a really good film. You know, it would have been a really good Justice League movie part three. The two Ryan Reynolds playing against each other, and yeah. Henry Cavill playing against himself, and Affleck playing against himself. <laughs> you know, there were a couple of misprints that we just connected as we went away. Yes, uh, went through it. At the stage where Owl Man's trying to mentally control Batman, the lettering actually says it's Batman that's beaming his thoughts controls, yes. which they fix in the reprint yes. and change it to Owl Man. But there's a further problem with the lettering where a caption reads the the Justice League members as opposed to then the Justice League members. Yeah. That's not connected in the reprint. So yeah, interesting. So there we are. It's Sorry. Quality control. That's being pedantic. No, but it's, ob- it's obvious that the level of quality control needed a bit of quality control. <laughs> But yes, I really enjoyed it. I mean, it's, I don't want to say a complicated story because it's quite straightforward, but there's a lot of detail to it. There's a lot of action. Yeah. There's a lot going on. So many questions. I mean, you've, we talked in the last episode a bit about Earth 3 and, you know, how exactly evil counterparts would work and how a society would kind of work. Not, yeah. not just society, yeah. but society uh-huh. in general would work. Uh-huh. But looking at it more this time as to the motives for the crime syndicate, I think, are really bizarre. They can do anything in their world. They just choose to rob banks. And, yes. And I mean, it's obvious. Paintings it's always the Ultraman. He has a bit of a motivation because each time he gets exposed to some kryptonite, mm-hmm. he gets a new power. So yeah. he's maybe has a certain right, give me some more kryptonite sort of thing. But the rest of them, it's almost like the idle rich, I mean, which is obviously what leads them to do what they do in the first place. They're looking for that next mm-hmm. bit of conflict and that next fight. The thing that worries me is just the way that they're all imprisoned at the end because I hope it's some sort of time stasis bubble where they're not going to age to death or have to go to the bathroom or have to eat yeah. or grow long beer or whatever you know and it can have to be as well because how Jordan's powering constructs well, cannot exist forever I mean, they would fade yeah. away when the battery loses yeah. charge or he, loses, he gets distracted and the willpower goes yeah I mean I'm reminded there's going to be a story we'll do comparatively soon when Green Lantern well one of the Green Lanterns and Doctor Fate combine their efforts to create a bubble prison for another character mm-hmm. we'll get to that before too long I mean I'm surprised they didn't do it here just to create something kind of permanent yeah true it just suggests that maybe Power Ring could magic his way out of it yeah, because, think, yeah, because there, was that, there was that moment when their, their rings were almost entwined and he was able to overload it I wonder maybe, if that would work by old man's super brain you yeah know, you think they'd be yeah. well in saying that you know some of the crime syndicate do escape of course, yeah. I mean, we won't go into too many details. They will be back for too long. You will see them in a few issues of the Secret Society of Supervillains, and then they appear a few years further on from that in a crossover between Justice League of America and the All-Star Squadron. Absolutely, yes. 
We should probably say here as well that the Justice Society don't really get so much to do in this apart from the fights. The the stars yes. of this story are definitely the uh-huh. the crime syndicate. They are three versions. Yeah, I mean they basically say JSA save the league. They have their own fights, and then that's pretty much it. Yeah, no involvement um, in part one at all, which is interesting. It's inter- it will be interesting the next couple of JLA JSA team up to sort mm-hmm. of see how that dynamic plays out and how it all balances and what they all get to do. They're also not involved in the final fight. That's right. Which yeah. is mm-hmm. interesting. I do like the crime syndicate. I love the characters of them. There could have been a lot more done with them. I think. They're not really hugely developed in this at all. You know, I mean, as we said, yeah. that's definitely not Bruce Wayne. But of course, Power Ring is very clearly modelled on Hal Jordan. Yes, uh-huh. you know they look almost mm-hmm. identical. Mm-hmm. I'd love to. I mean, it would be nice just to kind of not necessarily an ongoing book set on the Earth because it would have opened up all the holes that you were saying about. You know, how does the society actually work? Yeah, but a bit more development for them would have been nice. Well, we do get that post-crisis. Yeah, with lots of the stories. Then there's the big story that went through Trinity, and that's quite long. I don't think I read that. Was that the weekly series? I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. Was that was that the the weekly pre Flashpoint series, the one that yeah, Kurt mm. and, music, yeah, yeah. And, and Bigley drew, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Uh, they did a lot in that. Obviously, there's Jelly Earth Two, which is when there only was one Earth, and then they did an anti martial right. version. The graphic novel by Grant Morrison and Frank Quitely, yeah, yeah, which is excellent. The characters are a bit more fleshed out there. Definitely. Yeah. More so than they are pre-crisis, but obviously these are, they're slightly different versions. Yeah, it's almost um, like the gimmick in pre-crisis is just that they're evil versions of the main Justice League and mm-hmm. that, that's it. That's all you're really getting. Yeah. I wonder what the reader response at the time was, Peter. Let's look and see. So, we're in the GLA mail room from Justice League of America issue 33 and the first letters from our old friend, Roy Thomas. Fantastic. Right, deep breath. <clears throat> It's a long Roy Thomas letter. As, as you'd hope. Right, so Roy's writing from 307 Greensbury Road, Jackson, Missouri. Dear Editor, whether in adult or children's literature, sequels are notoriously inferior to the originals. I would dispute that. None of Dumas' later tales of D'Artagnan and the boys ever came up to the Three Musketeers in popularity. The Land of Oz and its successors never approached The Wizard of Oz. In comics, Crisis on Earth 2 did not, in my opinion, rival Crisis on Earth 1, although the two of them counted together as one long continuing story, won last year's Alley Award. That's why it so gratified me on the day of my return to the United States from Mexico to be greeted by the latest JLA issue featuring the most dangerous Earth of all. Not that the cover of this comic surpassed the previous one, which had displayed Dr. Fate and his crime-busting cronies. To me, that cover is likely to remain unsurpassed in the JLA series for a long time. Wait till you see the cover of 37, Roy. However, the story was definitely a worthy follow-up to its predecessor, Crisis on Earth 3, and in some ways was even an improvement. How that constantly amazing man... That's interesting. That amazing man, given that Roy would later introduce a character Mm -hmm. who was called Amazing Man. How that constantly amazing man, Gardner Fox, managed to crowd no less than 10 super battles into a story without a garbled end result is beyond me. It was a little bit garbled, Roy, come on. <laughs> After this, nothing in Justice League of America is likely to surprise me much. Artwork was inspired too. If this and Crisis on Earth 3 aren't at least nominated as Story of the Year when it is Ali Awards time again, I'll eat my Green Arrow type hat. Come on, Roy Summer. I'm sure that this new appearance of the old Justice Society of America will cause a number of fans to wish to learn more about this long-lived supergroup of the 40s. I would like, if I may, to direct their attention to a new and regular series on the JSA which will feature in comic fandom's most famed magazine, Alter Ego. As its new editor, I intend to continue publishing AE by photo offset and, if possible, to increase its frequency to several times a year. It will feature the JSA each issue, a series on the first great days of many of the most famous superheroes of all time, articles on heroes in the comics of Mexico and other countries, original strips, both humorous and adventurous, and many other features. I'm happy to announce that the JSA series will be under the charge of that group's number one all-time fan, Dr. Jerry Bales, founder of Alter Ego. By the time this letter could possibly appear in print, AE7, which begins the JSA series with an article on one of its most fantastic enemies, Solomon Grundy, will be out, and AE8 will be just a month from publication. Readers of JLA can find out how to receive these issues by sending a stamped, self-addressed envelope to the writer below. That's quite nice that they gave him a plug, isn't it? Yep, absolutely. Uh-huh. And, and we gave him a plug right there. Yeah. Alter, Alter Ego magazine is currently still a magazine. Yeah, it's well, still it's, one. It's a new, a new version. Uh-huh. Of it. Uh, um, but it covers the same ground. It's a couple of golden age comics. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, as well. I, have, I haven't picked it up for a very long time because he started this revived version about, what, 1998, I think it was? Yeah, it, it was a flip book with comic books. Uh-huh. It was yeah. a flip book with comic book artists when it came back, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Um, but it's still going. You know, he eventually spun it off again into its own magazine from Tomorrow's Publishing. Definitely mm-hmm. worth checking out. We have consulted a few issues here and there for, Absolutely, yes. you know, to help with our preparation for this. It's a very good magazine. So and it's, it's worth a magazine out. back issue as well. Absolutely, yeah, they're terrific. The editorial response to Roy's letter. 
We are happy to encourage and lend support to such a worthwhile comic fanzine. It's how we get started, so in a way, it gives us a chance to pay off a debt to the pros who furthered our ambitions. We're not going to do all the letters, we're just going to do a few of them. Yeah, there's quite there's a few, two pages for them, so we'll just do a select few. Pete's going to do the next one. Dear Editor, as far as I'm concerned, Crisis on Earth 3 and The Most Dangerous Earth of All were not, respectively, a superstar spectacular and the most stupendous battle royal of all time. The plot was not earth-shakingly original. The story is not destined to live in the hearts of all who read it for the rest of their lives. Gosh. What did you give us in the August and September 1964 issues of the Justice League of America? Only a darn good fight and some great Sikowski artwork. That's all. That'll do. And by the way, thanks, <laughs> says Bill Elliott. Bill Elliott, the dancer. They made a film. Billy Elliott. Yeah, yes. they made a film with this guy. There you go. There's no response to that letter. It kind of speaks for itself, really. That's a shame. Uh, here's the next letter. Maybe they could have said to him, well, tough, why don't you go and take up ballet dancing? Could have done. <laughs> the next letter is from Kenneth Gallagher from West Virginia, and he says, Dear Editor, I guess there isn't much point in writing a congratulatory letter in response to JLA number 30, since every fan in fandom probably will, but I'm going to anyway. The fact that only three leaguers were portrayed in the cover was outweighed, for me, by the fact that they happened to be my three current favourites. Ah with the possible exception of the Atom. Furthermore, it was refreshingly uncrowded, and Green Lantern looked better than he usually does in his own covers. Oh, gosh. Wait till you see the cover of issue 32, Kenneth. Unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Title-wise, it was the best since Outcasts of Infinity. The most dangerous Earth of all. Man, does that have a weird ring to it. As far as I'm concerned, the JSA really stole the show this time. Their individual battles with the Crime Syndicate members were extremely well done, not to mention the insights they gave you and your readers about the powers of the legendary JSAers. Even though I have seen Dr. Midnight several times in Flash, I was completely unaware of his blindness. By contrast, the battles between the Justice League and their Earth-3 counterparts were so short as to be almost ridiculous. This was outweighed somewhat by the unusual way in which they defeated their enemies. Imagine defeating a villain not by depriving him of his powers, as happens most of the time, but by increasing his powers to the point where he can no longer control them. Gardner Fox, take a bow for that ingenious innovation. One suggestion that I'm sure many fans will echo, since you've gone to the trouble of reviving the Justice Society, how about featuring them a little more prominently in your magazines? Oh. Yeah. I'd especially like to see Dr. Fate or Dr. Midnight do an occasional guest shot. Thank Kenneth, right, and the reply to Kenneth. Now that the superheroes of the Justice Society of America have won a revived measure of fame, they deserve a chance to capture the hearts and imaginations of the current generation of comic book readers. Thus... In the forthcoming April issue of Showcase, mm. Dr. Fate and Our Man oh, yes. will team up against one of the most awesome villains of bygone days, the marshland monster known as Solomon Grundy. As an Fantastic. extra treat and thrill, the original Green Lantern will make a guest appearance. Superb. There you go. So if you want to find out more about Solomon Grundy, check out uh, the issue of Alter Ego that uh, <laughs> Roy was referring to <laughs> in his earlier letter. Yes, terrific. Uh, the next letter is, Dear Editor, I sincerely enjoyed issues 29 and 30, Crisis in Earth 3 and The Most Dangerous Earth of All, were the best stories you've published up to now! Exclamation point. Although all the heroes were drawn well, my favourite hero, Superman, was cheated on the covers. You always show his back, show him at a distance, or what's worse, leave him out altogether. You've said yourself he's the mightiest hero, so why do you invariably shove him in the background? I also thought you kind of cheapened the Justice Society by having the Crime Syndicate defeat them so that they could battle the more superior Justice League. I think both groups of superheroes are evenly matched. Although I took pains to criticise your efforts, it's only fair that I soothe your feelings by repeating my assertion that it was the best comic story ever written. I liked the way you kept the trio of teams to five members each, thus permitting more room to develop each character's part in the story. That's a good point. Story? No. Classic? Yes, says Bill Krosky from Miamisburg. And the response to that one is, Recent issues have played up Superman more and more, cover-wise as well as story-wise. Obviously, a wise move on our part. Uh -huh. Yeah, and the final letter is from Leonard J. Tirado, Reason Street, Saratoga, New York, and he says, Dear Editor, Heaven help ye editor if old Gardner Fox ever decided to start a comics group of his own. The most amazing thing about Mr. Fox, it's a shame he didn't say the fantastic thing about Mr. <laughs> Fox, is that he's like a well of never-ending sagas of top-quality adventurous fiction and plausible, realistic, factual content. The above-mentioned elements can all be found in The Most Dangerous Earth of All. One thing which I feel is imperative for me to comment on 
is Mike Sikowski's artwork. In the past few issues, Honest fans have spoken out praising Mike's work, despite the opinion of the majority of other fans that Sikowski's work is chicken scratching. Well, you know, we've been quite critical, or maybe I've been more critical at times, <laughs> I'm not sure, but, you know, we have given praise where we've yes, felt uh, it was worthy, wouldn't mm-hmm. we? Leonard continues, Allow me to add my voice to the uproar of protest from Big Mike's fans. To the doubters, I pose this question. Which artist on the entire DC staff, let alone perhaps even entire comics field, could ever tackle as many and different heroes as in Crisis and Off 3 or the most dangerous of the vault? His portrayal of the superheroes of the Justice League and Justice Society, his original conception of the supervillains of the crime syndicate, cannot be beat. I have spoken. Well done, Leonard. And there's no editorial response to that one, which is probably quite tactful and says it all really. Cool. So that's what the readers at the time thought, and so you've heard what we thought. Uh, what do you think? What did you think about this mm. amazing second uh, two-part story of the Justice League Justice Society team-up? Yeah. Who was your favourite member of the Crime Syndicate, for example? Let us know. Yes. And you can email us at the Earth 2 podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you follow us on Facebook as well at the Earth 2 podcast. Uh, we'll be putting up some choice panels from this amazing issue for you to check out and you can see exactly what we're talking about and you can also follow us on instagram also at the earth 2 podcast and on twitter we're at podcast underscore earth 2 yep check out the twitter and the instagram we post the covers of the, the comics we're talking about with a few choice panels and a few other interesting things as we go along so yeah give us some feedback if you can give us a rating on apple Podcasts, especially that's great for our visibility and, and all that sort of stuff that'd be terrific and make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes absolutely well that's it for today i've been peter and i've been david And we'll talk to you next time on... The Earth 2 Podcast! Transmatter Cube activated. Return coordinates set for Earth Prime!